all familiar with the expression, when something goes wrong and it's an unnecessary mistake, we'll either say it of ourselves or we say it of others. What were you thinking? And that's my view of people who have been exposed to the Bible. I don't mean just once. I mean they sat in churches, either as children or adults, and especially in churches like this, where you and many others over the years have been exposed to a lot of Bible teaching on the end times. And then with the spate of current events, I really do wonder what are people thinking? This is the time to press in, to know Christ and be with Christ, to be born again, to live the life that he's called us to live. And maybe, hopefully, some of the things that I bring to you today will inspire to begin to really take inventory and say, what have I been thinking? We realize that this book here, the Bible, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there, I'm going to paraphrase it now. There is no other way to see heaven or the Father but through me. I do know, I said I don't know, I am certain of the times we live in and some scriptures related to that, but I still ask myself, what are people thinking? Because it's not as though I'm taking the Bible or other teachers are taking the Bible and just really stretching a text beyond reason. Take a normal text, and some you're going to see them today, and compare it to the events and the headlines and the news and the media. And it's really just a perfect match. For me, as I get older in the Lord, and the longer I go down this road, the more convinced I am that God wrote this book. Amen. And the more convinced I am that we are in the last days. So perhaps some of these things shouldn't surprise me when I talk about what are people thinking? Why aren't they here? What are they thinking? And I say I don't know the answer because I really don't know what goes through people's minds. But I know what the scriptures say. And I don't know that we'll cover it today, so I'll say it now. That before the appearance of an antichrist, there would be a falling away from the faith. Now that's been going on for a long, long time, long before we were born. Any of us in this room, before you were born, there's been a falling away from the faith. But it grieves me personally, it truly does, to see people who once were fervent, who I see them sometimes in public, and I don't know where they're going. I don't ask them. I many times just wave and smile. But that's what goes through my mind. What are they thinking? And so today I want to just talk to you a little bit about the end times and what the Bible has to say about the coming of Christ under the title of Russia, China, and the coming of Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. We'll read at verse 25. Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21 are the same account of the signs of the coming of Christ, those that would precede the coming of Christ. And in Luke chapter 21, at verse 25, Jesus said, near to his coming, when you would know that his coming is very close, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. By the way, verse 26 indicates that the average individual could figure out if this is happening, this is going to come on the earth, which it's all over the news. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. 
And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Your redemption is very close. This week we saw in the news a meeting between Russian President Vladimir Putin and the president of China, Xi Jinping, and coming together, just showing the world their alliance. Now, it may just be for show, but it is a very concerning issue. The top two communist countries in the world, with China having the second largest population next to India, coming together, shaking hands, and pretty much saying to everyone, particularly you Americans, we stand together. Now, some of you may be aware, and some of you may not be aware, of the great persecution that's going on with Christians just like yourself all over the world. And this is, well, related to our message today, our study, it's particularly going on in Russia and in China. What many people don't know, Russia, you could guess, it's a Western nation, but China being Eastern nation, is that there's a massive amount, millions of Christians in China. So why don't we hear from them? <laughs> the government is communist. Why don't we hear from Russian Christians? Because the government is communist. And the Bible is the biggest threat to communism. So I want to read to you some headlines. All of these were in the news since I last saw you last week, last Sunday. One stated, Christian who escaped Chinese persecution warns U.S. descending into communist style of governance. And then the subheading says China Aid, which is a group. President Bob Fu claims the left is exhibiting increasingly, quote, dictatorial attitudes. There's also another headline related to this. China ramping up persecution of Christians as it demands, quote, worship and allegiance of Xi Jinping. And so the story reads this way. Chinese pastor Bob Fu discussed his concerns that America is becoming increasingly like communist China. Fu, who was born and raised in China, fled to the U.S. after he and his wife were imprisoned in Beijing for their work in the underground Christian church. Fu then founded China Aid to bring, quote, international attention to China's gross human rights violations and to promote religious freedom and the rule of law in China. Continuing to relay his concerns that similar censorship has worked its way into the U.S., Fu blasted the media establishment for towing the line for the radical left, saying he finds the alleged collaboration, quote, very worrisome, as do I, and I have for quite some time. Fu said this, we really cannot let our exceptionalist constitutional democracy yield to this communist style of governance. Listen, in China every day, many of my friends are arrested and serving five years, seven years, nine years imprisonment for simply preaching the gospel and organizing a peaceful worship service like this one here. This is the most worrisome thing, he continued, speaking to concerns over mayors and governors in America, stifling the free exercise of religion during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in the West. He said, I feel America, including Canada and the European countries, are coming to this point of active discrimination and perhaps persecution. In a recent interview, Fu called out California Governor Gavin Newsom's crackdowns on worship services. 
Quote, I saw the governor of California basically proscribe and order the church to shut down and say not only when they can worship, but how. The ways that he threatened to punish those churches and pastors sometimes were word for word exactly the same as what the Chinese Communist Party is using against the Chinese churches. He also sounded the alarm over Democratic Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garitti's threats to cut off water and power to homes and businesses defying COVID ordinances, saying the rhetoric is, quote, same tactic, word for word, that the Communist Party has used over the years against the churches. Just with that testimony alone, that observation, as we, especially we who are older, have seen the changes in America, I have said on some occasion that Senator Joe McCarthy was right. Not in everything that he did. He got a bit ahead of himself, to say the least. But he was sounding an alarm right after World War II of what he saw. And now we see it coming to fruition through the 60s when I grew up and the 70s, the 80s, and 90s. And of course, we just keep going on. We see the encroachment. We see the tactics being used. You read uh, Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, and see the tactics being used. It's written right out in this book. The only good thing about that book is that we could read it too, so we could recognize it. But I said to you a moment ago, and it does trouble me. I mean, it really troubles me. What are professing Christians thinking here in America? It seems to me attendance at church services is just another lifestyle option. Reading the Bible. I've asked some Christian parents about reading the Bible to their children at night, and it's just not always there. Some yes, some no. Prayer. When I was being licensed with my former denomination, that was one of the questions they asked me, among other questions about my personal life. The question was, did I have a family altar? And what that means is a time when you bring the family around and you read to them the Bible. And my answer to that question was, yes, we do. We would gather the children around when they were younger and read passages of the scriptures or some lesson that we were doing, whatever it was, right until they were late teens. And here's something that I want to say. No matter what we do as parents, we do not control the actions of other human beings who happen to be our children or our grandchildren, our husband, our wife. You've heard this before. I got it from Jesus. I thought to myself this morning, a thought that came in my mind, to write a book, Perfect Parent, Perfect Child. Meaning, the children, in some views, are a reflection of the parents. But I don't believe that that's always accurate. In other words, you can see a grown child and say to them, well, your parents trained you very well. But it's not necessarily true that it was from the parents. It may have been. I've seen wicked parents have some very godly children now, some very godly parents have awful, sinful, Christ-rejecting children. And that's the reason that we read in the Bible that all have sinned. But it must be seen that if a parent takes their children to the services, leads them to an altar on a daily basis in the home, which, by the way, for those who are Christian couples, married Christian couples, it is not the job of the wife or the mother, to bring them together. The husband is the priest of the home, and he's supposed to be calling for these times together. Now, I'm going to say this to you honestly. It's not a secret anyway. We did this, and my children did not turn out perfectly. That's for sure. But to one of them, I said this. 
after some discussion that we had, said, you can say whatever you want, but one thing you can never do is you can never forget the things you learned and the things you heard. My hands are clean, but it's troublesome to see Americans, old and young, A, they're picking out a church because it's really an exalted form of entertainment than it is instruction and wisdom and salvation and so on. Or secondly, just distancing themselves from the services, reading of the word of God, the prayer life. And what I want to say to you today is this. Does it really enter into the mind of adults especially, not children, adults, that somehow we'll be able to make it through all this without the aid of God? Well, it must enter their mind that somehow this is all going to just work out. Well, according to the Bible, yes, but not for everybody alive. Again, I said this last week, you put your head in the sand like an ostrich, it's just all going to go away. It's not going to go away. It's not going away. We're fulfilling Bible prophecy at a rapid rate. I'll show you that in just a minute. Rapid rate. So I asked the question, I begged the question, what are people thinking? I don't know that I should presume to exempt you. What are you thinking? This is the time to press in. This is the time, as the old chorus goes, though none go with me, still I will follow. This is that moment. We have come to that point in history. And all we have to do is look back, Old Testament Israel, look back on the history of the church and look back on the history of the world and remember the words of the Mexican-born American philosopher George Santayana, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. With one exception, we're fulfilling the prophecies of the scripture. And what it says, since prophecy has always been fulfilled literally in the past, will be filled literally in the future and perhaps the near future. I'm not a date setter. I'm not trying to set a date. I'm just saying based on the rapidity of the signs, how fast things are going. I asked the question, what are you thinking? And so Russia, no need to go into great detail about the country. We know where they're at. They're engaged in a war now with the Ukraine, and there's talks of World War III and other things. Uh, be assured of this, nothing is going to happen outside of the permission of God and the plan of God. But it's still a horrible thing, and that's just one incident of the distress of nations, nation rising against nation in Matthew chapter 24. One example this war's all over the world right now that we never hear of unless you take the time to research them. You might not even know about the Syrian civil war where already a half a million people were killed as much as we had in the American Civil War. We don't hear about these things. But they have relevance to the times in which we live. And I can't help but saying this again and again. What are people thinking? Unfortunately, it's like a cancer. Let's call it an aggressive cancer. And there's some of you here that have been diagnosed with a cancer and they'll say, well, this is a cancer, but it's good news. This is a slow-moving one, and your chances of survival are very good, whatever. And then sometimes you get that bad news that you have an aggressive cancer. Well, either way you look at it, the history that we're going through now is like a cancer. It's spreading. And what are people thinking? Jesus is the Savior of the world. And he deserves, at least in my opinion, a lot more than we Americans are giving him. Now, what Pastor Fu says here, to some, just seems like a fairy tale. Yeah, it happened in China, but it never happened here in America. But his observation, I happen to agree with. No, we're not seeing our doors shut yet. 
No, we're not seeing Pastor Barnett's speech restricted to certain topics which the government says I can speak on and other subjects I can't speak on. Yet, yet, there's a Bill of Rights, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, but that's only on paper. If people decide, if the government decides, if people whom we elect decide to amend that or to just disregard it, which is exactly what happens in revolutions, it doesn't matter what's on paper, they simply take over. And we are in that position now. And so Russia and China, they meet, and whether, again, how much sincerity was really there, it doesn't matter. They came together to show the entire world we stand together, two communist countries, two imposing communist countries, both with nuclear power, nuclear weapons. And on a hot mic, an open mic, one or the other, and I forget who said what to who, but it was Putin and Jinping on an open mic when they weren't aware, he said, this is one of the greatest historic moments in 100 years. So they see something in it. I'm talking to the Christians today. Didn't the rest of Christian America see anything in this? Have they not read the scriptures? The role of China can be more dubious as to who are the kings of the East in Revelation 9 and 16, chapters 9 and chapter 16. But the role of Russia can be without doubt. Genesis chapter 2, after the flood, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. In Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel is told, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Chapter 39, verse 6, And I will send a fire on Magog, and among them that carelessly dwell in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Revelation chapter 20, verse 8, And shall go out to deceive the nations, speaking of Satan, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And that's to the north of Israel. Keep in mind, east and west and north and south is determined now on a map by the location of Jerusalem, not America, Jerusalem. And so if you do your homework, you'll find that the descendants of Japheth eventually wind up, some of them wind up in what is now known as Russia, whose name comes from Rosh. And it's really not, I mean, you can find this in the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's how easy this is. I mean, determining Bible prophecy is not easy, but determining who Russia is historically is actually pretty easy. If Encyclopedia Britannica can say this is the history and it matches to a great degree what the Bible says, then we have at least one nation clearly identified. And here's something else, too. If you want to know where Bible prophecy is, keep your eyes on Israel and on the Middle East, not on America. Or not only on America. We're Americans, and we're concerned about our country. I'm very concerned about our country. But keep your eyes on what's going on in the Middle East. Hey, we just had two members of the Knesset in Parliament in Israel try to introduce a bill to make it illegal to preach Jesus or proselytize. Well, that was two people. But you see, there's an antagonism. We read in 1 John, he says, there are many antichrists. It's a small a, and it's plural. Even then, there shall be an antichrist. That's singular, usually capitalized, so we can distinguish between the two. So we have all of these things going on. There's hundreds more. And we can determine, as I just said, the kings of the east coming across the Euphrates River, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes, coming to invade Israel from one direction, 
And from the north, another massive army directly related right to Moscow and Rosh, or Rus, Russians. And let me just say this too so I don't forget. We must always remember our enemy is not the Russian people. And our enemy is not the Chinese people. And so on. It's the ideology and the philosophy of the government and those that have a dictatorial grip over them. But that can't happen here in America, thankfully, right? You know and I know it's happening. I don't want to go down that road just right now as far as why. I want to stick with the topic. But let us not be deceived to think that we Americans are ultimately in control. If the Lord doesn't build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Whether it's the church or the government or your local city, if the Lord is not aiding and helping, then the psalmist will go on to say, the watchman wakes, but he wakes in vain. You sound the trumpet, but it's too late. Let me say something to you as someone who has a lot of experience dealing with people who have anxiety and depression. The odd correlation between this and something we find in the Bible is this. And I'll say it to you this way. Every human being on the planet, every single one, is going to fear something. No one escapes it. But we have the opportunity to trade in our fears of the time, the environment, the economy, the, all of this for one fear. Fear of the Lord. Reverence to God. Reverence to his word. Reverence in prayer. And so on. And downsize all of our anxieties to just one. However, as you know, there is a tremendous, we just read it here in Luke chapter 21, verse 26. Men's hearts failing them for fear. This is not the type of fear that you want. And this is not the type of fear that you need. Because the fear of the Lord eliminates that. As the Holy Spirit imparts to us knowledge of the book that we read, when it's read, if it's read. Holy Spirit's not going to impart knowledge of a book you haven't read. You have to read it. And as we do, the Holy Spirit teaches us, maybe not all the depths and complexities of the Bible, but the simple principles, absolutely, that are understood. And it may not enter the minds of some people who do suffer from anxiety. As you know, I have a great, great compassion for people with anxiety and depression. But what I counsel them as a minister, I always tell them, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a sociologist, I'm a preacher. And you can trade them all in for the fear of the Lord. What are people thinking? Let me say this to you, a connection is rarely made, rarely, even with preachers. That the life that we've been called to, a holy life, is one of the greatest antidotes to mental health issues. A clear conscience, knowledge of the blood of Christ, cleansing us from all sin is one of the greatest, not one, it's the greatest antidote from living a life of anxiety and fear, which I deal with quite frequently. Yet, I say this again and again, it should have been the title of my message. What are you thinking? Some years ago, there was a campaign, and it was back in the 70s, and every professing Christian had a little thing to try God. Well, I think that the campaign certainly had its point. But I used to always amend this statement and say this, God didn't ask you to try him, God asked you to trust him, trust his word, trust what he says. But the times in which we live now are providing so much evidence that it's hard to miss, not hard to see. And we don't, as I said earlier, we don't control who receives the message, who loves the Lord and who doesn't. We don't control that. We only control ourselves. 
what you do as an individual. That's the only thing that you actually control. Now you can read again in Ezekiel chapter 38 of the armies of the north coming down against Israel, written so many long centuries ago. And in Ezekiel 38 and verse 8, it says, After many days thou shalt be visited, in the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is brought back from the sword. And this is written during the captivity of Judah. And is gathered out of many people against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safety, all of them, at the very, very end. And so I didn't design this message to be an actual teaching on a very involved subject, Russia's place and things. I just am mentioning it because we saw it in the news this week. Two dictators shaking hands, all chummy, as a display to the world, but primarily for, I think, for us, to say, we're together on this. It's a lot of people. When you look at the Bible, and we read, and we're going to read it in just a second, again, using Jerusalem as a focal point, and we see armies coming from the north, then we see armies coming from the south and from the east, having to cross the Euphrates River, we find something very interesting for our time. Revelation chapter 9, verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year. If we read that backwards, you get a better picture, I think. A specific year for a specific month, a specific day, and a specific hour to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of horsemen were 200,000,000, which is 200 million. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having breastplates of fire and jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet and this is curious, in Revelation 9.20, the rest of the men, there's two-thirds of what's left on the earth after this event, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their fornication nor of their thefts. In the plan of men, and especially men in ministry with their boards, they plan how to win a city. They come up with these ideas. But it is in some cases quixotic to think that anything that we do is going to convert people. Conversion comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, of which I do not control him. Hopefully he controls me. But I do not have a corner on the market. No preacher does. No church does. Our prayer and the preaching of the word goes out as seed. And we really have no idea on what type of ground it's falling. Doesn't matter if it's our own family. Doesn't matter if it's our friends, our acquaintances at work. We don't really know. God alone knows those that are his. 
The seed goes out. Yet there is those that no matter how much evidence is here in the Bible to prove its veracity, we read here in the book of the Revelation, after all that is going to come on the earth, men will still curse God. And they will not change. Look with me at Revelation chapter 16. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty, which we know as Armageddon. It's yet future. But what I want you to look at there in verse 12 is this. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. The Euphrates River runs from Turkey through Syria, down through Iraq, and then empties into the Persian Gulf. The Tigris River, just over to the east of it, runs in the same fashion. And yet, in the last few months and the last few years, but especially the last few months, what's happening in the Euphrates River is catching the attention of all the archaeologists, hydrologists, socioeconomic individuals, because it's drying up. And so much so that if you just go take a little time to look at it, you will see what looks similar to the Mohawk River when the control of the dams, they call them locks, but they're really dams. When the gates are open and the river goes down, you can almost walk across from one side to the other. And there's various reasons that the Euphrates is drying up. One is dams and the control uh, mainly in the hands of Turkey, northern Syria, and the people in Iraq are getting very little. Then we have 2006 and the very terrible drought that took place. And so you can look at this great river that runs for 1,700 miles and see, and again, there's reasons for that, primarily the dams that are being used by the Turkish government and Syrians, but at the other end of it, they're paying a heavy price for lack of water. And I could go down that long line of thinking too, but I won't. It's simply to say that it's drying up in our time dried up in some places. The subject of Bible prophecy with respect to the last days is complex. And I'm trying to make this message simple, as I always do. If people took the time to just look at these things, they don't have to understand everything about Bible prophecy and all of that, just the basics. Where is this leading us? I mean, if we didn't have a Bible today, and these are the things that other men of sciences are considering, because they know where it's leading us. A terrible drought in countries like Iraq and Syria is going to be very, very troublesome. And if, and if there's a country that's either A, oil rich or supplied with waters such as Israel, then you're going to have to go to war with them. And we see the hand of God bringing his plan to pass in our time. So I say again, what are people thinking? Parents should want their children to know the word of God. And for the life of me, I can't understand when I come to the final conclusion in my own thinking, why are they picking entertainers for their pastors instead of Bible expositors that will expound the word of God, that can relate what we're reading here to what is happening in the world right now. And the greatest need that we have around the globe 
The greatest need that we have in America is for the preaching of the word of God and the whole counsel of God. As I reminded you in the past, I'll remind you today, when we accept Christ, it's not simply for eternity. That's, of course, the biggest bonus. But it says that we shall be saved from the wrath to come. Saved. It's a more biblical word, actually, than the word Christian, which is only used three times in the Bible. Disciple is used far more frequently. A disciple is a student, a learner of the word of God. And Jesus, as he appears in the book of the Revelation, has written on his thigh the word of God. In John chapter 1, in verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then we read in John chapter 1, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And Jesus says that God the Father did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath to come. That's the primary meaning of the word saved. Now, if you were on drugs and you're off drugs and you did it through Christ, well, you're saved from drug addiction. That's great. Alcohol. Or maybe Christ saved your marriage and other things and healed your body. And all benefits. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And why is my mind troubled? Because I know him. And I know whom I have believed. And I want others to know. But the heartbreak of it is their behavior seems to display a casual acquaintance with God. Instead of being all in at this period of history. I was speaking with a Christian woman the other day. She goes to a different church. And we just got talking for just a little bit. She just said to me, well, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, as we just talked a little bit about our times. I said, that is true. Yes, it is true. But there's two things that are unique to this generation, which I've told you many times. That's never happened before, ever. One, world population. Eight billion. And it's still climbing. Second, technology. We are now literally here, we and others are preaching to the whole world. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 that the gospel had to go out to the whole world and then the end shall come. We're fulfilling prophecy right now. It's not just you that I'm talking to. Many, many friends, pastors, heads of orphanages, missionaries watching from all over the world, watching this broadcast right now and many others. What are people thinking? And I mean people who have been exposed to Bible teaching. When will they break up the fallow ground and say, it's time to seek the Lord? What will it take? Look at, there are what I call lines of demarcation in the grace and mercy of God. Read it in the first chapter of Romans. And since they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. In other places it says, God gave them up. And let me tell you something. If I give up on you, you still have hope. If the church gave up on you, you still have hope. But if God gives up on you, there is no hope. When Dante rather wrote his great work, and he put in his work the words over the portal to hell, abandon all hope, ye that enter here. For me, without apology, 
That keeps me straight. Without apology. Do I love the grace of God? Well, of course. That's what's keeping me from that place. And the mercy of God. But if ever the devil knocks on my door, which is frequently, and he whispers something in my ear or throws something right in my face, I remember these things. I remember the high price paid by Judas when he turned his back on Jesus. He was an apostle for 30 pieces of silver. And then immediately he regretted it and it was too late. You see, we have many who say that there is no end to God's mercy. Now that's true in one place, but it has qualifications. Again, read Romans chapter 1. Or look at Judas. Think of Esau, written about in the book of Hebrews. When he wanted to change, when he wanted his birthright back, he could not get it. Abandon all hope, ye that enter here. And we are living in the times right now, in my opinion, and the opinion of many, many people, that is giving more evidence and testimony to the veracity and truth of this book that it was written by God through men than ever before. And what does that mean to you and to me? It means we have to go all in. All in. Because Christ, as we read here in our text, is not far away. And again, I'm not setting a date. I'm not saying it's going to happen by the end of the year. And by the way, don't even listen to these people. Don't spend any time listening to people who've studied and studied. That's what they say. They've studied and studied, and they go through the Feast of Israel, and they go all through these things, and they can tell you now exactly when Christ is coming. Just dismiss that. Don't waste any time, and certainly don't waste any money. Just keep on moving along, because Jesus said, No man knows the hour, but the Father. But then we're taught further on, but we know the season. And I will submit to you, we're in that season right now. This is the season. What day? I don't know. And I'm not going to set a date. Jehovah's Witnesses have done this. Other Bible teachers have done the same thing. It's a classic mistake, particularly for those who teach eschatology, Bible prophecy, the last days. They always seem to come up with a date. And they always are wrong. Always. But we know the season that we're in. This is the season. This is the season. When we were created in the image and likeness of God, there are many aspects that we should consider. God is wise. We were created to be wise and not fools. Jim Elliot, the great missionary to the Aka Indians, who was murdered, he was killed in the 1950s for his mission. He said this, he said, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. If someone were to say to me in my earlier days, they would, you know, and what is this Christianity and you're reading the Bible and all that there. I didn't know that phrase at the time, but that's what the intent was. I'm giving away what I can't keep. There's nothing in my life, including my body, that I'm going to keep whenever I'm laid down somewhere and put underground. Assuming Christ doesn't come first, I'm not going to keep anything. So I'm giving away that which I cannot keep. To gain that which I cannot lose. That Jesus spoke about a well of water springing up. He says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He says, woman, I tell you that whoever drinks of this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. Never. He is no fool that gives that which he cannot keep. Your land and your houses and your cars and your reputation and your education and all of this. It's all gone. And that heart stops and the lungs take in or put out. No more air. 
But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I was sitting in my office before I came to the pulpit here. It became very real to me. And I just thought to myself, in many small towns, not larger cities, when there's a fire, there's a siren. You hear the siren. So you know that all the volunteer firemen know to get in their cars and get to the trucks and all that there. And that got me to thinking about the trump of God. That got me to thinking as I was just kind of just contemplating and looking out the window that what if that moment right there, the trump sounded, and the dead in Christ shall rise. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you know that in that moment, anything and everything you've dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be nothing in comparison to what we see and feel and experience and know? (laughs) He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep. Look around your house, look at your possessions, think through your life, think about it all. You won't keep any of it, none of it. You know, even good looks. You look at some of these, and I'm picking on the ladies, the actresses mostly, but men too. You see these handsome men and these really good looking women when they're in their 20s and 30s in some movie, and they're still alive today and they're in their 90s. Then you realize that all flesh is as grass. And it wilts and it withers. I won't name any names to not embarrass anybody, but I've seen some of these actors and actresses, men and women, who are now still alive. And thank God for that. I mean, I'm happy for them in that respect. But they don't look like they used to. And you know what? Neither will you. And you know what? The next step after that is the coroner. And you know what? The next step of that is whoever's in your will, family, friends, or whatever. And I've watched enough families fight over the possessions of a loved one, a so-called loved one. I've watched it. I've seen it many times. And you say to yourself, what is this really all about? The accumulation of possessions? What is it really all about? The Bible tells us. Jesus, giving with that which you cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. That's what it's all about. And so, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. I was thinking about this a few weeks back. How can the star fall from heaven? But then I got to studying a little bit about stars and how they do deteriorate and become supernovas. And everything in this Bible is coming to pass now, but there's more to come. But always remember that God will take care of his own. And so you're going to have to endure what? Some jokes that your family talks about you being a Christian? That's not really persecution, my dear friend. Talk to Mr. Fu and many others who are either in jail, five, seven, nine years. Russians did the same thing. They're doing it all around the world. Of course, we don't hear about these people because they're locked away. Right now, they're in some cell. And I wonder, I do wonder, if we could talk to some of our Chinese brethren and say, we could transport you immediately to 46 Market Street, where you could sit and you could have freedom 
And you can go out and you can come in and the preacher can preach whatever he wants. Would you trade that in? Well, that's exactly what this man's trying to do now that he's an American citizen. Now, let me say this to you, and I don't mean to insult you, but do you really appreciate what you have here in America? We're losing, my friends. And you know why we're losing? We're losing by default. If I, as a fighter, decide not to climb into the ring on the night of the fight, I lose. It doesn't matter if I brag all over town about how tough I am, how fast I am, how strong I am. I lost. And why did I lose? I lost because I didn't show up. I lost by default. The other guy won. He never had to raise a glove. Christians need to wake up and to see that we are losing many battles by default because we're simply not showing up. We're not even showing up to a church service. Not thousands, but in the millions. And I know the Chinese church is in the tens of millions. Russians as well, all over the world, including Iran, Iraq, all over the world, there's Christians, obviously Israel, though they're trying to silence, well, a couple of men are trying to silence the voices. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because God cannot be silenced. God cannot be silenced. So it's not going to happen. And they better hope in Israel that that doesn't happen. Do you realize that you've been given the gift of eternal life and the ability to come and go as you please? I'm going to say this to you. I think sometimes that's harder than persecution. I remember hearing a missionary to China 40 years ago. And he was talking about the great persecution that was going on then in China. And the American host that had him on his show was expressing how terrible this is. And so naturally, this is the way we think, naturally this persecution has just diminished the Christian church. And he says, no. It's growing by leaps and bounds. And by the way, there was the same report years ago, I won't go into the story, that happened in Africa. They were heavily persecuted in one of the countries, again, some decades ago. Man shows up, knowing about the persecution, says to the bishop, one of the bishops, naturally you're praying for the persecution to stop. He said, stop. We're praying it continues. The churches have never been so full. Back to China. And so the missionary who's on the show Talking about the persecution and how the church is growing, it seemed that it made the host of the show perplexed. I mean, don't we grow churches by giving a lot of stuff away? Promising a lot of junk? Well, this is what he said. I'll never forget these words. He started talking about the prosperity gospel. And this missionary said, what persecution could not do to the church in China, the prosperity gospel has done to the church in America. I'll never forget that. This is a man who's seen both. American missionary for many decades over in China, watching the church grow under heavy persecution and watching the church in America diminish as Americans are losing sight of reality. I knew a man who had a cancer and he was advised to have chemotherapy and whatever else, but it was mainly chemotherapy. He didn't want it. And the doctor said to him, you know, that he had the right to refuse it. He said, but listen to me. He said, if you think you're just going to go along and everything's going to be great, it's not. He says, there's going to come a day you'll be crawling on your hands and knees to ask me to do surgery or do the chemo. Then it'll be too late. We do not want to be put into the position here in America that it's now too late. It's too late. In my mind, it is not yet too late in America. But again, what are people thinking? You know, you see veterans, and some of you yourself that are veterans, you may wear this shirt, freedom isn't free. Somebody died that we could be here. In the church, somebody died that we could be here. It's time for us to awake to righteousness. 
not be woke, whatever that term means, whatever that means. But I know what it means here in the Bible when it says, awake to righteousness and Christ will give you light. That can only come from God. Russia, China. I neglected to mention a month ago, Russia and Iran were doing naval operations together. And we see it all coming to pass. We see it. Men and brethren, what shall we do? We must seek the Lord while he may be found. Come this July in 2023, I will have been in Christ 46 years. And it just so happened that God just put me to work right away. So ministry and conversion came in the same year. 46 years ministry. 46 years saved. And I will... I will tell you, and this is the truth, I'm not saying that I've never been tempted to sin. That comes every day. But I've never been tempted to turn back. And for those of you who the devil uses that temptation, the good old days, out with the boys, or out with the girls for that matter, and all the carousing and the revelry, and remember how much fun, keep it going. Keep the memory going. Remember going to the house later on. Remember the room spinning around. Remember the vomiting in the toilet bowl. Remember the relationships that were destroyed. Remember the marriage you used to have and on and on and on. It's time for the American Christian to awake to righteousness and let Christ shine. And from my point of view, and only my point of view, I find every day that I wake up, every day, this world becomes less and less attractive to me. That's the truth. I don't have any temptation, who knows it will come up, to turn away from the cross and go back to Egypt. Because no matter how well I was fed in Egypt, I always remember the fact that I was in chains. That I was a slave and now I'm a free man. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I remember the days that I was so filled with fear. The only way to get around that was to put on a facade. But the truth of it is, deep inside, I was suffering greatly from fear. Then Christ, Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Amen. Go back to what? Bondage and chains and misery and depression and anxiety and all of these things. And for those of you who always wanted people to like you and then found out that most don't, and the ones that do, when given the opportunity, whether it's you or your friend who's going to perish, most of them are gone. You'll find one that sticks closer than a brother, Jesus Christ. We need him. We need him. And we need him now. I say this by faith and by the grace of God. I'm not going back friend of mine talked about retirement. He's a little bit younger than me, but he's not all that young. And I think his plan sounded like a good one for him. But my answer to him was, well, I'm Irish, and there's a fight going on, and I want to be in it. And that's how I feel. The fight going on for the soul of our country. Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City. For you who are politically oriented, better think twice about everything when it comes to politics relation to Christ, because here's a man, as you know, he's a Democrat, who is speaking about Christ openly and kicking flack. And his words, when he spoke about Christ openly, from not a pulpit in a church, as much as just a platform, he said this, 
He said, I'm not going to stop talking about God. He said, government is the body and God is the heart. Amen. You go figure. But I'll tell you one thing, I admire that man. And that's what we need. I'm not backing up, I'm backing down, going forward. Praise God. Going forward with Christ. Let's follow Christ into the heat of the battle. And it's a battle. That much we know. Let's ask today for more grace to be poured out upon us. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? You see the evidence? Let's turn our hearts to Christ. Go right into the heat of the battle. Father, we just ask you for grace. Help us today. Because without you, we can do nothing. But worse than that, bad things will happen. To us, to our families, to our children. As we see the signs and never even talked about what's entering into our school system. We didn't even talk about the many shootings that still go on every week. We even touched the tip of the iceberg of the fulfillment of prophecy in this age. Which says one thing for the believer. Look up for your redemption is very close. But God, let no one in this room at least, those watching by way of the live stream, those listening on the radio, let none of them be the one that hears you say, I never knew you. But rather let us have a clear, clean conscience and let us be able to stand before you, imperfect, but knowing that we're saved by grace. Cause us, God, to run into the battle with you as our captain, captain of the hosts, Jesus. And bless your holy name. Help us, God, to be Barnabas to each other, encouraging the brethren. Help us, God, to take you at your promises, whether it's a sickness, a disease, a headache. Whatever it is, God, help us to take you at your word and obey your principles and watch you work. Watch you do your work. We give you all the praise today. Save souls. Shake up the backslider. Shake up the compromised and the lukewarm. Shake them, Lord. The fearful and unbelieving. God help them. They may fill up these seats and seats in other places that are preaching the gospel. And we may see this harvest with our own eyes that you spoke about right before you arrive. We give you praise. And we give you glory. And we give you honor. So Father, remind us this week to love you with all of the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength. As tiring as it can be, help us to keep going with everything we've got. And don't let us neglect to love one another. Truly love. Your word says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Help us to truly love one another. Be concerned about the welfare of the brethren. And if so, then this will become a continual oasis from that wicked world outside. And help us, God, not to neglect or forget you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor today in Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me again? Amen. Amen.